0: Welcome to Conversion Stories, where I share my conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about their journeys to the church. I am your host, Joey Erickson. In last week's episode, I talked with Judy Reitze. At the end of our conversation, she mentioned that her husband Charlie has an amazing conversion story to share. Boy, was she right. I am happy to share Charlie's story with you today with the help of Judy.
1: Okay, I just want to preface this by saying that Charlie has Parkinson's disease. He's right here, actually. Oh, good. To to control his tremors, his doctors implemented electrodes in his brain. But unfortunately, that treatment has a side effect of degrading his ability to speak. And so that's, that's what we're up against. It's hard for him to make himself understood, and it's getting worse. Charlie wrote the story himself. These are his words. In September of 1968, the U.S. Army sent me to Vietnam. At that time in my young life, at age 19, I knew precious little about religion and didn't have any thoughts of making religion a part of my life, much less converting from a Baptist to a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Religion was so far down on my priority list that it wasn't even remotely on the horizon. I thought religion was a prop to buoy up those men who were incapable of standing strong on their own merits. However, Heavenly Father has a way of humbling stubborn, I'll do it my way kinds of egotistical people. When he does it, he leaves no room for misinterpretation. He gets our attention fast and quick, which is how he got mine. It was the night of what has been known and referred to ever since as the Tet Offensive. Tet is the Vietnamese new year. That year, they, they celebrated Tet with live rockets and mortars raining death and horror from the sky at Long Bien where I was we were hit unmercifully hard there didn't seem to be any let up rockets and mortars were exploding everywhere some men were taking cover under their mattresses while others like me ran to bunkers there was really no safe place you just took your chances and hoped one didn't land on you One of our men was blown 500 feet and in some miraculous way didn't sustain any physical injuries that we could see. Another man whom we lugged to the medics went home a vegetable. He would spend the rest of his life in full-time nursing care. Three of our men were killed. It was nothing short of a miracle that I wasn't killed and that we didn't sustain even more deaths and life-threatening injuries. As I ran for the safety of a bunker, I found myself lying in that dusty, filthy, blood-stained soil, not knowing what happened. I didn't know if I had been blown off my feet or tripped over something, but there was nothing to trip over. I tried to move, but I found that I had no strength. I tried again with the same result. Then, for the first time in my life, I knew horror in its strongest terms. I knew my time was up. My life was over. Rockets and mortars were peppering us. Right then, this I'll-do-it-my-way guy started to get a religious life. If I was going to live through that night and through Vietnam, I needed help beyond my own prideful capacity. I needed a prop, a big prop, a prop that would save and spare my life. Then I said my first serious prayer of my life. Not unlike a movie, I saw all my friends and family pass across the screen of my life, as they did. I asked Heavenly Father, let me see my mother one more time, my father one more time, my brother Ray, my sisters, Kathy, Mary Lou, Susie, and Judy, my friends, Carol, Owen, and Jerry, one more time. Father, if you let me live, I'll go to church the rest of my life. The Lord humbled me quick and fast. No sooner had I finished my prayer when I felt strength returning to my body. It wasn't long before I was able to get up and get into a bunker. One of the soldiers looked at me and said, another purple heart. All I could see right then was my knees. They were both bleeding quite badly. I said, no, I'll take care of it myself. And I did just that. It wasn't long after that when First Sergeant Fitzgerald stuck his head in the bunker and told us that we had been overrun. That meant that we had Viet Cong inside our camp compound. That was probably the longest night in my life. Certainly, it was the most gut-wrenching. I couldn't eat or drink anything for three days. Everything just came right back up. Any loud noise sent me diving in the dust. In time, I would remember that I had made a promise to Heavenly Father. For the time being, I forgot, but he, did not forget. When I first arrived in Vietnam, my MOS, or job description, was an engineer. I was trained as a crane and shovel operator in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. As it turned out, they needed a weapons clerk quite badly. Their weapons clerk had just gone home, so 1st Sergeant Fitzgerald took me to the supply room and taught me how to change rifle barrels on M-16s. So for the next while, I became the company's weapons clerk. Part of my job as weapons clerk was to fire the weapons after I had cleaned them. This we did just off base on a high pinnacle of ground. Unbeknownst to me, that area had been overrun, but nobody told me. Even the guards of the towers neglected to tell me. From the towers to where I was wasn't far, but I wasn't supposed to be out there, but out there I was. I had been firing small arms fire machine guns and grenade launchers. Since TET was now in the past, I had completely forgotten about my prayer. While firing the last M60 machine gun, I heard a voice just as clear as if you were speaking to me right now. I heard the voice with my ears, not so much with my mind. It was so real that I stopped firing and walked around the truck looking to see who spoke to me. When I couldn't find anybody, I stopped and looked straight up into heaven and said, he wouldn't speak to me. I'm just one person. Then I turned to fire again. But to my surprise, that same voice said the same words. Throw your weapons in the back of the truck and leave now. This time I knew who was speaking. I knew the Savior was trying to help me. I just had to listen and follow his instructions. I did exactly as I was told. I threw the weapons in the back of the truck and left immediately. I kept one M16 and my 45 caliber pistol with me. Then I opened the truck, truck, excuse me, then I started the truck. I fully expected Viet Cong to come at me from all sides, pointing the M16 out the passenger side and keeping my 45 where I could grab it. I tore out of there like I was on fire. Fortunately, I didn't have to use either of my weapons. It was obvious to me that I was being watched over. When I got back to the towers, the chief guard started tearing into me for being out there. He said, if you hadn't left when you did, you never would leave. We could see the Viet Cong circling and sneaking up on you, and there was nothing we could do to help. I expected... I explained to him that the guards failed to tell me. He said he'd take care of that and left. He was not a happy person. I doubt the guards on duty were any happier when he finished tearing into them for nearly getting me killed. Now, I'm not an indoor person, and I didn't enjoy being a weapons clerk. I tried to get them to change my MOS to a truck driver. After a few months, a train clerk came in, and I soon turned everything over to him and started riding shotgun on a 10-ton tractor trailer whenever the company was given an assignment. It didn't take me long before I got my driver's license for big trucks. I was assigned a truck and spent the last two thirds of my tour of duty as a combat engineer, hauling D-10 land clearing dozers all over Vietnam. This was no small operation. We had around 40 to 50 trucks and dozers, all fit with rum plows. Our job was to clear jungle for any kind of military use. In hot areas, the infantry was assigned to keep us safe. One day, 1st Sergeant Fitzgerald came to me and said, Right we have a load that has to go somewhere out there post. Um, He told me to pick any man I wanted to drive the second truck. I picked the newest driver we had. I picked him because... He would be scared and would listen without question. And because telling me that I could pick any man I wanted and that I had been singled out of all the drivers to get this load through, I knew that this was an urgent load that had to be delivered. When I got back from that trip, I had an opportunity to go home early. They wanted me to take another load, but I turned it down and boarded a train, a plane for Maine. I had just returned from a very dangerous mission. I knew the chance I'd be taking if I took one more load. Back in the States, I married Marie Packard and went to Fort Gordon, Georgia without her. After being there for about a month, I went to my commanding officer and asked for some time to go home and get my wife. The CO treated me like I was his own son. He gave me 18 days, but only because I had just returned from Vietnam. He knew I needed time to adjust. But, he said, there's just one thing. It's going to be nearly impossible for you to find a rent. They're taken months ahead of time on military bases. But if you can find a rent, you can go and get your wife. That night, I rode to Grovetown with a company clerk. He gave me the same song and dance. He told me how next to impossible it would be for me to locate a rent. At the first house we came to, there was a man walking across his lawn with a can of Budweiser beer in one hand and a for Rent sign in the other. The driver asked me if I wanted to stop. Yes, I said, stop. That's my favorite kind of beer. I remember thinking, of course I want to stop. What kind of question is that? I learned that the guy just got TDY orders to go to Kentucky. TDY in military terms means temporary duty. I also learned that the rent was $120 a month and a $120 deposit. I had enough for the rent, but not the deposit. He called the landlord and the man came right away. While we were waiting, he started telling me how lucky I was and went through the same song and dance as my CO and my driver. After three times, I had it down pat. After the landlord showed up, I learned that this small Cape Cod-style house was his, along with a nearby blue and white trailer. After we talked for a while, he said, you're from Maine, you'll take care of my house. Forget the deposit, just give me the $120 rent and go get your wife. In the process of talking, he asked some questions that really were none of his concern, but I played along. I was quite interested in where this line of questioning was going. First, he asked where I was from in Maine. When I told him Buxton, he said, I'm familiar with Buxton, but I don't know much about it. Where's your wife from, he asked next. That question really piqued my interest. Guilford, I said. Then he landed a Larry Bird three-pointer and won the game. Your wife's maiden name wouldn't be Packard, would it? Yes, I blurted out. It is. How could you possibly know that? Is Verge your wife's father? Yes, he is. Now, how could you possibly know that? He said, I went to school in Guilford with Bird Packard. I moved down here after high school. What I didn't know yet was that Heavenly Father was keeping my promise for me. Since being home, I had not even given it any thought. The emergency was over. But Heavenly Father hadn't forgotten. He told me three times how lucky I was. Everything worked out just like clockwork. It turned out to the couple in the blue and white trailer were Judy and Steve West from Salt Lake City, Utah, active members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They were the only members I knew of who lived in Grovetown, and Heavenly Father moved me right in beside them. Everyone told me how lucky I was. Blessed would be a much better word. Well, after a few months I returned home from the base and Marie explained to me that the neighbors were from Utah and that Judy had invited her to some women's function at the church. She asked if I minded her going. She, I, she said, I told Judy that I wasn't going to join the church, but that I'd like to go to the women's meeting. I said, I don't care. If you want to go, then go. So off she went. The first time she went, she was all happy and wanted to go again. A couple of weeks later, when I came back from the base, She told me about their missionaries and asked if I minded if she took the missionary discussions. I told her I didn't care if she did, but I wasn't interested. I agreed that I'd sit in on the first discussion, and that's what I did. After that discussion, when the missionaries came, I went in the bedroom and watched Bodanza, a Western TV series. Along with Judy and Steve West, I attended a special stake conference with her once. Elder LeGrand Richards, one of the Twelve Apostles, was there. It was a good conference, but I still had no interest. Then Marie wanted to be, be baptized, so I said okay and attended her baptism. I enjoyed the baptism, but that was the end of it for me. In spite of all the coincidences that led up to this, I just wasn't ready. Fortunately, Heavenly Father didn't give up on me. After my military enlistment was over, we moved back to Maine. I used to take Marie to Sebago Lake most every Sunday so she could ride to church with some sisters. I would then go home until it was time to pick her up. This went on for quite some time, over a year, I think. Meanwhile, we wanted to start a family. We had been trying ever since we got married, but for some reason, Marie just wasn't getting pregnant. The doctors checked us over and said there was no reason for her not to get pregnant. Finally, out of frustration, she just gave up hope. That was when it happened. I came home from work one day, and she said, I'm pregnant, and she was. We were delighted. All the while, she had been asking me about joining the church, and I kept saying no but that all changed and quickly marie was two weeks overdue i was concerned that something wasn't right i had an inner sense like i'd sense when rockets and mortars were coming too close it seemed to be telling me that there was something wrong some reason the baby hadn't been born yet when i came home from work when i came home from work one day marie said i think you'd better take me to the hospital the way she said it was some concern in her voice told my inner self that the rockets were getting too close. Then I knelt down and said my first prayer since returning home from Vietnam. I knew we were in trouble and I knew I had to do something about it. I told Heavenly Father that if he would let Marie have the baby and for the baby to be healthy and be a boy, that I'd listen to the missionaries. I laugh now when I think of that prayer. Sixteen hours later, she still hadn't given birth. The doctor came out and said to me, no matter what we do now, it could be wrong. If I send you home, you may have to come right back. If I take the baby, you won't be able to have more than one more child. It's up to you. I told him to take the baby now, and he did. When the doctor returned, he said, we did the right thing. If we had waited any longer. The baby would have died. The umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck, and he would have choked to death. You have a healthy baby boy. After seeing the baby and Marie, I went home. I hope I thanked Heavenly Father. I knew that he had answered my prayers. I also knew that all the events from Vietnam to when Marie had the baby were not coincidental. I could see his hand in my life as he literally led me to the truth. I knew that the series of events in my life that led up to that moment were nothing short of a miracle or one miracle on top of another. A person would have to be blind not to see that. And so when Marie came home, the first thing she said was, now will you talk to the missionaries? I don't dare not to, I said. So she got on the phone right away and called Bishop Garner in Portland. He promptly sent the missionaries. The first night they were there, they gave me the first discussion. That wasn't enough for me. I already knew from Murray that this church had a health code that forbade drinking and smoking. I wanted to know more about that. They told me that was taught in the third discussion. It took me a few minutes, but they finally relented and said they'd tell me a little for now. I made it easy for them. I said, so if I join your church, I can't drink any more. Is that right? No alcohol, no coffee, no tea, and so on. That's right, they said. And then I shocked them. I took all my alcohol, beer, and whiskey and turned it down the sink. That was the end of it. And there was no small amount of it either. I never could have done it if it weren't for the church. When you live through experiences like I had and are t- then taken by the hand and led one step at a time to the truth, you need to humble yourself and admit that it's true. I knew then that the church was true and that Heavenly Father had given me three opportunities to accept it, and I might not get another. Charlie has told me in commenting about the birth of of Shane as it turned out, uh, that he doesn't make decisions like that. That decision came quick and fast.
0: That is amazing. Um there is so much <laughs> in that in that experience. And I wanna say thank you to Charlie for for sharing. Um, do you mind sharing um Kind of the rest of the story with Marie, and then how you and Charlie met.
1: Go ahead. I don't know much of the story as far as Marie is concerned. They did get divorced.
2: Marie, Marie, family moved to to Maine. Well, I was in high school, and I met her. Well, my oldest sister, Kathy, introduced us, and that's how I met Marie. And we went there through my last two years of high school, and then I went to, I went to the service and Marie went to a radio station. And uh, as soon as I came home, we got married. And then we had, we were afraid of having two kids. So that's how I got married. And uh, we communicated a lot, you know, on the laptop. But
1: uh, Man, yeah, man. Yeah. They, they were divorced and um, I think he married Mackie Stanley yeah. uh, and when he I had moved back to Millinocket in 1984 and was attending the Lincoln branch they changed the branch boundaries and they had uh, Rusty Jarvis was our branch president and Charlie started to attend the the Lincoln branch. When he came, he was married to Mackie. And uh, shortly after, she disappeared. I, you know, I didn't see her anymore. And and, uh, um, the Rusty President Jarvis asked me to help Get a computer ready for family history for use for by branch members, and it was an old machine that Charlie had, an old computer, and I am a nosy sort of person, and I nosed around the computer, and I discovered that he had written a series of book chapters, and I read them. He thought he had deleted them, but I found them anyway. Anyway. And uh, they were very interesting, and I, and that it was after that that we kind of started to get acquainted, but.
2: Uh, when well, I was in Bengal, I I uh, I was attending the Bengal War, and the state president Benazir, and Mrs. Holmes home asked me to go to India to and I was teaching gospel doctrine at the time. And I hated to leave. But I don't know what it was. I I only sister to tell her I hated to leave Bengals, I don't know what I, I know, I know it was after And uh, she said, "But Reggie, I don't know what it is. But he said, there's something very special for you. Henry Vance there's something very special for you. And I said, oh. And I had a think And I had two terrible marriages at all. And, and then three and a half ago. And everything changed.
1: Yeah, and I had not ever been married. I was in my 50s and uh my sister it was about the time the boston temple was being built and about time for its dedication and my sister called me up and she said go online there are pictures of the boston temple now online and so i went and they had posted all four or five pictures And one of the pictures was of a ceiling room. And when I clicked it to come larger on the screen, a spirit said to me, you're going to be sealed there. And I, it was so shocking to me because here I was, uh, you know, hadn't even dated anybody for a couple of years. And I, I went to my knees and I said, Heavenly Father, this is wonderful, but who? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, so, as I said, it was it was kind of after that, that that this started. President Jarvis had asked me to help with the the machine, and then he asked me to uh, coordinate the member the um, volunteers at the Boston Temple Open House, and uh Charlie was the most faithful of all of those who went down to help during the open house. Um, so I, I learned a little bit about him from that standpoint, but after a while, we did start to date and, and, uh, and I guess the rest is history. We were sealed in that ceiling room. <laughs> that is amazing.
0: You both have just great conversion stories and the way that you came together is just I definitely felt the spirit as you were sharing that experience and Charlie I definitely think there's something special about you absolutely and I think this is my fifth um, conversation with members and their conversion stories and Rusty Jarvis has come up three times (laughs) in three different um, conversations, and I think that's amazing and I just think he is on the other side of the veil, just listening and beaming, and we definitely remember him and think of him, and look forward to being
2: yeah, with him I, again on yeah we 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 a vision and
1: him and yeah they they understood each other because they were both Vietnam vets and and I think they helped each other through that um, experience and I don't know that they talked all that much about Vietnam but but they seemed to have a camaraderie there I, I have to tell you another story about Rusty I began to get cold feet at, at some point in this whole time and I don't remember what happened but we were we ended up in in his office as the branch president, and um, Rusty was unhappy with something that Charlie had done, and he tr- kind of called him out for whatever it was. And and but when he turned to me, he said, "Oh, you've waited so long," <laughs> and and it was just like, "Just hang on, you've waited so long." <laughs> And uh, it uh, kind of touched my heart.
0: Talking with Judy and Charlie has been a treat. You can see a picture of them by visiting Conversion Stories Podcast on Instagram. To learn more about The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you can visit... Church of Jesus If you would like to share your conversion story, you can reach me at stories Podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to talking with you and sharing your story.